Hello, and welcome to Graveyard Shift, the podcast where I talk about classical music when I can't sleep. So it's about 12.30 in the morning. I just arrived back at college, and I slept like a rock last night, but for some reason I just can't close my eyes tonight. I can't stop my brain from buzzing. So here I am, um, talking about the Pavan by Faré, Gabriel Faré. He was a French uh, composer who was born in 1845, died in 1924, and his death really marked the end of the Romanticism period and kind of the start of modernism because as he got older, he started getting a little more experimental in a very conservative way. He used a lot of classical structures and repurposed them for what suited his needs best. So a little about Faure. He was trained, he, well, he was French, and he was trained by Saison, who is also French, and who's known for the Carnival of the Animals. And Faure originally trained as a church organist and a choir master. And he had a few well-paying gigs in his youth, but he found success as the director of the Paris Conservatory. And the French government recognized him as a leading composer and had, like, this celebration about him. But towards the end of his life, he became deaf, but that didn't stop him from composing music. Now... Faure preferred to write for piano or choir, and in fact, he kind of resented having to write for an orchestra or for chamber music, but when he did write it, he preferred to use kind of transparent methods. So, for example, in this pavan, there is originally written only two of each string and then one of each wind which is about half the size of a modern orchestra. So the Pavan itself was written in 1887, and a Pavan pavan is a slow and dignified dance that's usually for a couple, and it came out of the Renaissance. It started in Spain, but ended up all over Europe just with uh, cultural fusion. Originally, it was written for piano, But in the modern day, the orchestra version is a lot more popular. There is also a chorus that goes along with the orchestra version. So like a choir, um, soprano, alto, tenor, bass. And that version I like too. But personally, I like to strip down just the orchestra. I feel like it's more calming. You can hear more of the intricacies of the tone and the rhythm and the melodies that way. One reason this piece is interesting is because it takes a piece that was originally intended to be very quick and slows it down. And the slowed down version is mostly what's performed. It's much more popular. Faure himself never played this at less than 100 beats per minute, which is quite fast. But it's almost about half that tempo for most modern recordings today. The composer described the Pavan as elegant, but not otherwise important. And it's, re- it's really a simple piece. 
it is elegant, and I think it's elegant in its simplicity, in a way, how it takes the few tones that it has and really takes advantage of the sound of the oboe, the sound of the flute and the clarinet, and meshing those together because they trade off the melody, especially the first melody, quite a bit uh, during the opening part of the piece. The lines in it are especially melodic, which is part what aligns itself with the simplicity of the piece. The smaller lines tend to form bigger lines, and once the melody starts, it never really kind of stops. It just, there's a couple themes that come through, and they blend into each other quite nicely. Harmonically, it makes use of seventh chords, which is interesting considering the era in which he was in. Romanticism was all about making you feel something and making you feel the tension of a piece and feel the release. But seventh chords are also often used in jazz, which started to gain popularity around the turn of the century, especially during the 1920s. It's actually quite easy to see how this piece fits within its time frame, because even though it was written in 1887, that's right around the time that jazz was beginning to get its roots, if that makes sense. The lyricism of the Pavan is accentuated by these wonderful dynamics. It starts off really soft and introduces the theme really quietly with um, the flute and the clarinet oboe trading off and with the violin and the violas providing accompaniment. And it goes in eighth notes, so bum, 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 which kind of stays solid, excuse me, kind of stays solid throughout the entire piece. Um, triplets are used towards the end especially, to kind of generate anticipation and tension towards the release of duple time again. And the whole piece itself is pretty repetitive. Like, you hear the same melody a couple times, and it's really easy to recognize because of how stripped down the whole piece is, because of how transparent it is. So I stumbled upon this piece listening to ballet songs. I myself am not a dancer, but I've always liked dance. I've always liked watching ballet. And the elegance of each line kind of allows itself to be really easily adapted. I'm not going to talk any more about the piece afterwards, but there's a couple things I'd like you to keep in mind while you listen to this. First of all, remember that it's a ballet. It wasn't originally written for that but you can kind of feel the motion of the melody. Second, I'd like to, for you to listen for the different themes. I counted three or four when I went through last time, but remember there's also a choral part to this. So imagine a big chorus with it. And when you're done listening to this, or maybe another day, maybe look up the recording with the chorus part as well and see which one you prefer. The recording I'm going to play for you I found on archive.org, so hopefully it's not illegal for me to play it to you. It was originally performed by the Slovak Radio Symphony Orchestra, and it's one of my favorite recordings of the piece I think I found. So without further ado, 